Showtime. Love when I hear that. And here I am again this morning with my good friend and co-host, Tori Ducart Eversman. Good morning, Tori. How are you? I am well, Deb. How are you today? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm okay. I'm a little fussy. It's the morning. I got my little Java here. <laughs> There we go. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So this is, for our audience, this is Welcome to the Show. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, with my good friend, Tori. And this is the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. And I asked Tori to come on to this platform and be a co-host with me because she has a lot of experience with dealing with fear. And in some really significant ways and in ways that relate to our country and to our culture and what I used to call our civilization, but I'm not so sure I'm calling it a civilization right now. We are out of control and it's left us feeling uh, uncertain and uncomfortable. And all that, my friends, emanates from fear. And we're in agreement about that, right? Yeah, and so you're broadcasting from your audience. I mean, from your from your home office, and you got to remember, you got your domestic tones going on all over the place. <laughs> all right. So this our our last episode, which was our debut out here, was really with Tori and I talking, and my wanting you as our audience to get to know who she is and what her background is, and what the what the foundation is for why I think she's perfect on this platform with me. And I knew that as a military wife and as a, as a woman who has gone through some very dramatic things with her husband and Iraq and his extended stay there and the triangle of death and, you know, all these things that are big, big, big and him being gone and, and her being at home with, uh, you know, a nice community of military wives and that insulation and protection, but there's nothing that insulates you and protects you when your spouse is not beside you in your bed, in your home, at the table, in the car, and you're trying to deal with uncertainty. So you got to know that terrain really well at that time. Yes, I did. I, def- I definitely did. And I can't even imagine how it is you you engage as a mother of a little tiny girl and try to bring humor, lightheartedness, and delight into your world during all that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I did with our daughter at the time was I, I used to tell her this little story, and it was very short. And I just said, and I was also trying to have, like, a teachable moment. So I was like, our president. And then I'd say, who is our president? She'd say, George Bush. And then I said, he um, went and some really bad guy and hurt us. And, and the president of the United States said, I'm going to, we need to go teach the bad guys how to be good guys. And. And, and so the president of the United States asked your dad if he would be one of the good guys to go over and teach the bad guys how to be good guys, too. 
I like that. Really simple. Three-year-old, three three years old, put it yeah. in a little box. Yeah, we we went through that story until she she kind of got it. So there was no fear for her. I didn't want her. I didn't want her to have fear because oh the the beauty of of having a three year old brain is that you don't know that when your father is sent overseas to a war zone and all of the components of that. So I didn't I didn't even want I'm right. like this doesn't even need to come into her world. Yeah, the the little mind. In, in developmental psychology, we know this, right? The little mind is concrete thinking. That's why if you play peekaboo, it's so much fun. You're gone, you're back. Yeah. You're gone, you're back. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's that simple. And isn't that a beautiful way of living, right? And and it's only it's only much later when you start to think, well, you're not really gone. You're 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 right there. And this is just a game. And then there's a period of time in development when you think it's stupid. You know, like, I know you're right there. We don't need to do that. So without all that contingency thinking, you really locked down on her world and made it black and white for her. That's great. Uh, Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I didn't want her to be any more concerned than she probably was. And, and not, again, I, I don't, I didn't study child psychology, so I didn't really know to what extent she knew what was going on. Yeah. But it was a big change. I mean, her one day her dad was there, and then we dropped him off at Fort Drum, and we drove away, and she didn't see him again for nine months until he came home for his leave, and then he had to go back. As we talked about last time, right. the, 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 the deployment was extended. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely was an interesting time. It was an interesting experience for me, and it, I can say it was an interesting experience in 2020, in, in 2005, six, and seven, not an interesting experience. It was hell. <laughs> yeah, right. Not interesting so, at all. You're living yeah, in time, it. Time definitely put, helps put perspective on this. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that I am, as we're going through this hell. Right, right now. Effort, yeah. That hopefully in the not too distant future, hopefully it won't be 15 years from now, but we will look back on it and for some people yes it absolutely will be helped for the people who have lost well here's what i want to do instead of instead of going down that path and it's easy for us to drift right what we're what we're here to do is in this bring an end to fear campaign is to is to put another context to this and pull back from what we hear from the media and from what, even if we're not directly involved with the media, that, that and, and I do, I, I, I float the channels daily, but I limit my exposure. I want to know enough to not be ignorant, but I want to know enough to, to, to be safe and have an awareness. And then, and, and then to know how to be um, a voice of reason and for you and us, for you and I to be a, a voice of reason together. So one of the things that I was talking about before we went live um, is I really am on social media on those platforms daily and across the course of the day. It's a lot of where I do my business and, and it's helpful. And, and on, 
on LinkedIn, there's a brilliant guy out of Vanderbilt University, Sean Bragantz. This gentleman, I don't know him except through social media on LinkedIn, but his posts daily are just spot on. So today, if you can see in the camera here, he is talking about, and he's doing a post, a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And I want to read this because it's so important because, um, you know, a lot of a lot of our leadership gets misquoted. And Martin Luther King, during all of this social unrest, has really been misquoted as though he somehow promotes violence. He, what he did promote was speaking your mind and protesting. You know, I, pro, I protest this. I, you know, I don't like this. Well, so here's what he says, and I quote, violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem. It merely creates new and more complicated ones. Violence is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends up defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. End quote. Excuse me. Is that spot on? Now, we're going back in time. How far? He was alive in the 60s. When did he, when was he assassinated? Was it in the 70s? Early 60s. Yeah, so we're going back now 60 years. This man's insight and brilliance was obvious. He was certainly on a mission about the condition of the black man and black people in America. He also was so wise as to look not just at his own era and circumstance, but to look at history and to see, okay, we're here now, but what do we do here now? And so one of the things I love about the theme that you and I are so hooked on and dedicated to here is we're not operating in a, vac- in a vacuum. We're using our combined experiences and primarily yours, and then I'm inner speaking on it, but we know that we're doing this, you know, we're prompted to be here because of a, a fearful negative situation. And, and the, and the issue is that's not where we met. (laughs) We met during a happy time when there was peace. Intermittent with war, intermittent with having to defend our freedoms. But right now, you're still raising a child. We're both trying to figure out our adulthoods. And we don't want to see people suffering the way that they are. And so we want to talk strategies, strategies from the situations that we've had and the circumstances that we've had. And help people see that there's a brighter light. So my prayer for all of us is that we, number one, survive this. 
Number two, that we thrive through this. And, and in the middle of this right now, for people who are hanging on in despair, taking medication for anxiety or depression, or maybe they've got a suicidal set of thoughts, dial in here. This is not the end. This is the now. And if we all come together, and, you know, I, I'm proposing that every morning at 9 o'clock, everybody in our country go into a place of, you know, peace and love and prayers and say, we want an end to fear. We want an end to violence. We are going to be the energy of peace and love. And not being naive about it, but when we change our frequency, yeah, it permeates, right? Absolutely. I think that is a really good – I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about resetting our intentions and how we have to reset our intention to a positive energy. Yeah. We don't necessarily feel positive. I mean, fear, fear comes from four different places. It comes from uncertainty attention, struggle, and change. Yeah. Now, I would definitely say that, like, what we're going through right now is, is, is there's so much uncertainty. We don't know what the change is other than the social guidelines that have been asked of us. And I think that for the majority of Americans, we have, we have acquiesced in the name of protecting the vulnerable. Um, as far as the social justice issues, I mean, it's it's definitely attention and struggle, and and you know we we need we I think that what I would like to do and what you and I have talked about is that we need to change we need to change the conversation and reframe what fear and anxiety need. And if we because if, why why when you act out in violence. Why, why are you why are you being violent? And I don't have the answer. I'm just posing the question. Mm-hmm. What what at what point have you gone from I'm so angry to I'm physically lashing out and thinking that that's going to to solve something? So I, I don't know the answer, but I think if we can if we can start to have these conversations and reframe what fear is to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as we talked about last week, like ending fear of porn, which is this barrage of information that may or may not be true, is partially true, or is true, but unnecessary for us to, to read and hear. Creating awareness around it is half the battle. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should, as you said, like pull back. I'm only going to limit myself to right. 10 minutes. I'm only going to limit myself to 10 minutes of Facebook a day. I mean, I know people who, who are doing that. They're just like, I, I, I still enjoy Facebook enough that I'm not deactivating my account. Then there are people like me who said, no mas, I'm done with it. I, I, it's just, it's too toxic for me. Like that's, and I, and I certainly, there's no judgment. People who want to be on Facebook, you know, eight hours a day. Great. I, that's fine. If, if, if that works for you. No, it's not fine. There's nothing about it that's fine. But let's go back yeah. to you and this friend of yours wanting to reset your intention. So what, what was that conversation like? What sort of positive intention did you switch over to? So one of the things, it's, um, this, these, this friend of mine is in an interracial marriage. And 
one of the things that she had shared with me was that her husband had said, we have to stop labeling people. Until we stop labeling people, we will continue to divide. Yeah, right. I, I was like, it's that simple. Yeah. We, I mean. Lots of people are saying that. Stop talking about, you know, just like with the vice presidential selection. It had to be a female. It had to be a woman of color. What does that say about character or qualifications? It's just as racist to pick people because of than to not pick people because of. Okay. All right. So I agree with them. So stop labeling. Okay. So that was a pos- That was an awareness. And then what were the positive intentions that the two of you came up with? Well, I think one of the things that we both thought about was that if we, if we can motivate each other to have positive intentions, yeah. and then we go out and after our conversation, then we talk to someone else and say, you know, I think we should change our intention to, to being positive instead of living in fear all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, so we, we thought, like, if we could be, I don't want to sound so arrogant to be like, I'm out there and I'm like, that's not No, that's not arrogance. What you're talking about is a commitment to leading other people because all of us are here leading one another. And, and that's what we're trying to do in humanity is to lead one another. It's basic social psychology. It's role modeling for one another. And so the two of you came up with actual statements that you wanted to share or ideas that you wanted to share. More ideas, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some some real life examples that I am going through right now. Okay. So, two big things in our seventeen year old daughter's life are high school, and she's a volleyball player. Okay. And I'll give you the positive example where the man who owns her volleyball club has continued to do everything that he possibly can to mitigate the risk, the COVID risk, um, while also keeping his facility open and letting the girls play volleyball. Okay. And said, I want our club to be on the forefront and show people in the volleyball world that we can do it, we can do it safely, and we can do it successfully. Okay. And that he started with that in March and, and thank goodness for that volleyball club because it's my daughter's happy place. And she has been able to continue to go down. And yes, there have been phases of, we can only let 10 people in the building. Right. Everybody has to meet these conditions. Yeah. Right. But it's physical outlet, it's social interaction, it's intentional energy that's being expressed. So this is all really good for mind and body and spirit. Okay, that's fabulous. And and he and he said, I I I, I'm you know I am running this to the best of my ability, mitigating the risk to the best of my ability within the guidelines and the parameters. Right. Of the county where this is. Right. So it can be done. Yeah. And it's being done. And, it's, and, and we even went to a tournament with 6,000 people. There was no outbreak. I mean, on the other hand, 
the prep school where our daughter goes to, which has all summer long, including late last spring, telling us how they're going to mitigate the risk, how they're prepared, how they're prepared, how they're prepared. One of the reasons that we've chosen to send her to this school is that we felt academically it was it was a superior education. It was one of the reasons that we chose it. We also felt that part of that holistic experience was leadership and courage. And very sadly, it did to me, and I very fully understand both sides of the coin, but when you have the opportunity to mitigate the risk and you can go forward and you've said, you've set the guidelines on what, how the standards are going to be. And we're not talking a ginormous high school. We're talking a, a pretty small group of kids. So you're getting consistent information since March and now you're going to come up against something where it's boom. And so now you've got a circumstance and yeah, and I know this, I'm setting it up for you because you and I have talked about this. So recently you have these great expectations. August, finally, we can breathe. The volleyball has been great. Now our daughter is going to return to school. And then you get, at the 11th hour, a notification that says what? They have just, they said that due to the escalating situation, um, they had decided that they were going to go remote and not open campus for the middle and upper school kids, even though the upper school kids are on a completely different campus. Yeah. And without the hard part of that communication was that it was very vague and it wasn't, we're going to reassess in two weeks. We're going to wait until September 14th. It, it just, it was very vague. It was, and, and if there was the opportunity to mitigate the COVID risk, this school has the means to do it. And to me, what this school has done is they've traded one risk in for another. They, 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 we, we felt that it was safe for our child to go back because they told us all the protocols that they right. had in place, how they were going to do it. Right. We felt as grown-ups. Yeah. We were, and, and knowing our health situation and knowing the school, we said, yes, we feel safe sending her back. Yeah, this uh, is our community. Yeah. Everybody's smart. Everyone's being aware. Yes. And, and so what's the other risk? What's the other part of the risk? The risk that I don't know how they're planning on mitigating is depression, anxiety, right. uh, rise in sexual promiscuity, addictions, suicide ideation. Right. So it's all the things that take place in an adolescent mind when they are not structured and going down a path of productivity it's yeah. not just the academics, it's the socialization in appropriate boundaries. And now we've got all these teenagers who are put in a position of, wait a second, you've been saying this all along. We've been counting on you for this. And now you say it's not, none of it. And so, well, wait a second. Now they're at the mind, unlike when your daughter was three. Now they're all into the capability of abstract thinking and contingency thinking. And they're saying, okay, if it's all hopeless, then, then what? 
and their mind can wander. So all those things are absolutely huge. So have you and your husband approached the school and said, what about, you know, you offset the risk maybe of the virus, but there's another social psychological virus. What are you doing about that? Have you approached him about that? We, uh, so my husband did write an original email asking uh, sort of for some more clarity. Yeah. To which we, they didn't really provide that much more clarity other than sort of, you know, the CDC guidelines say this, but the American Academy of Pediatrics says this. Okay. You know, it's a lot of, you know, could, would, should, maybe, you, so we don't we don't know as parents what benchmarks we're supposed to be looking for. Okay. Then, as as Matt said, it was sort of like asking you know a financial advisor who whom you have never met before said, "Give me your money, trust me, I'll I'll invest it well." Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I how why are we like we we were trusting you. Right. Now you you and we believe and according to all the communications. The majority of the upper school kids were planning to come back. You gave us the option, if you were not comfortable, that you built this very robust remote learning system. We had a choice. We chose. You took the choice away. Yes. Okay. So is there going to be a community meeting, either live or on Zoom? Not yet. I mean, there's been, it's, it's just, it's been hard. It's been a, it's been a difficult situation and, and frustration has been high, high. And, and to, to what extent, you know, we, you know, we can go in there and say, we, we would like more answers when I don't know that they have the answer. So it's, it's sort of like, I can ask you the same question 10 different ways. If you don't know the answer, you're going to give me 10 Right. You know, you're going to give me the same answer 10 times. I don't know. So here's my thought as you're saying this. In the middle of our campaign and what we're trying to do, our nation, let's pull back a second and make the picture much bigger. Our nation is sitting here, not really paying attention as much as we should to what the rest of the world is doing and how they're succeeding. Not really looking at all the numbers and putting in in perspective here in the United States. Because the numbers have been blown so far out of proportion to other illnesses and risks that we face every day, other realities. So this fear has been built up so high that no one is feeling comfortable In the middle of how litigious America has become over the last several decades to stand up and stand out and say, well, we're going to go for it because nobody wants all that risk. So prime opportunity, I think, for us to say, you know what, they can't answer all the questions about the coronavirus and the protocols because those are ever changing. That's a moving target all the time. But what we can do is we can say, hey, you know what? How about if we bring our expertise together, and part of it would be you and me, how about if we bring our expertise together and we have a program to offer you, and it's part of an end of fear campaign, and we start teaching 
ways to calm, ways to focus, ways to get hold of the reality of perspective and mind control and thought control, because that's where depression and anxiety emanate from. That's where suicide bubbles up and explodes from. So if what we do is we start offering people, we we move over, we just pivot away from coronavirus over to calm and peace. Because it is only with a calm mind that anybody comes into reasonability and smart decision making. And the leadership of that school, and I don't know the name of the school, I don't know the people at the school, you know, I don't know what the what the what the community of that school is, but but what I do know is there's nobody there who's real calm right now. <laughs> That's just the human dynamic. People all over the country with the back to school routine are in a panic so much so. Tori, I saw on the news yesterday. I was furious about this. There's a thing called the owl which is a 360-degree turnaround camera for teachers in the school so that they can do their remote teaching. And this teacher is standing in front of an empty classroom, and she's wearing a mask. There's no one in the room. My darling educators, your students need to see your face. First of all, I don't understand what you're saying through that thing. Secondly, don't be talking about how it's safe. We just had a physician, Dr. Murphy, from Northwestern University in on WGN this morning who was being asked questions about masking, and he's making it very clear. Quit thinking that you can wear it and it's safe. Quit thinking that you can wear it all day long. You can't. Quit thinking that you can clean the ND94 or whatever it is. It's for a one-time use. Stop with what we've now labeled as the false narratives. We need to help people on our end of fear campaign understand you're in an empty room. Take off the mask. Breathe, talk, and act like you're a normal person again. The children are going to be more stressed out, and children are all the way up through college. The kids are going to be more stressed out seeing you wearing a mask there. What do you want them at home wearing a mask while they're watching you? We don't transmit disease through cameras. So we need to infiltrate their mindset there and get them into a place of peace. Yeah. I mean, every day, every day, fear is robbing us. And I say us, I'm talking about every single one of us. Yep. Experiences and opportunities that can help us grow and get better as human beings on this planet. It's every day that, that we perpetuate, we, not uh, you and me, but every day that fear is perpetuated. Now we have to wear goggles. Now we have to wear a mask. Now we have this. Now we have that. That's fear. That's pushing through. You can get it through your eyeballs. Well, why don't we, you know, why, when are they, when's the government going to start issuing us just hazmat? Or why don't we just go back to lockdown again? I mean, this is, I'm like, it is, it, it's just, it's, it's pushing fear without saying, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the data as reliable as it could possibly be, given the fact that there's been 
little to no agreement on how to collect the data, but what we do have, let's look at it. Let's look at the numbers. Let's not look at, oh, now we all should wear goggles too. And, and Right, right. So in this, there needs to be a reasonability and, and the fear that has invaded each one of us. I can tell you some of my symptoms of the fear. Some of my symptoms are the fear of the fear are I am laying in bed and before I get up in the morning and just click on the news, I say to myself, put your hands together <laughs> and to go into gratitude. I am I have I have awakened. I can see out my windows and there's a world out there. It's still there. It, you know, most of the time it's dark because I get up because I want to see the sunrise. That's another fear factor for me. I want to see the sunrise. It's been part of my normal my entire life. So if I can see the sunrise, I get a spiritual, soulful lift that allows me to say, it's getting up and moving. I'm getting up and moving. When I lay in my bed, and I hang on to my pillow and I pull the covers up a little further and I think, oh, no, I'm scared. I don't know what is going on out there. It's something, 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 something. And I'm not filing. I'm not firing those negative neurons for our audience. It's bad enough that I do it in my own head and that it takes me even a nanosecond and sometimes several minutes to stop it. And, and the only way I stop it is by putting my hands together and saying prayers of gratitude. Thank you. And then every now and then I say a prayer to God and say, dear Lord, I'm praying for you. Please don't give up on us as your creation. You know, we, we really want this to be right. We want to be happy. We don't want to stress you out. Oh, my. We don't want to stress you out. That's big fear on my part. If I can get myself out of my bed and get moving, and turn on music that is uplifting for me, you know, relaxing classical or soft jazz or old memorabilia kinds of music that is, you know, maybe, (laughs) you know, I'm more like the Beatles and the Beach Boys and James Taylor and, you know, the 60s and 70s eras and, and and then I can, you know, I'm hydrating, I'm doing my morning bathroom routines, and then I need to get up and outdoors. Because otherwise, even my unconscious process during the night is an energy that permeates my home. And I mean, I probably should get up and burn sage every morning from my own energy. Because my frequency changes, you know, when we go to sleep at night, Everything we didn't process during the day gets processed in our dream in our dream life. And so the frequency that we're on during the night, we really each need to go to sleep. As a matter of fact, I'm going to include in our post uh, meditations and frequencies that we all need to get into through music and, and various ways to recalibrate so that we have a better opportunity to go to sleep in a better frequency and not wake up so poisoned. And then as I go through my day, Tori, if I start to feel overwhelmed, I mean, I've gained weight during this pandemic and lockdown and social unrest. I had dropped like 16, 17 pounds. I was 
happy. I was excited at the beginning of it. And then the longer it goes on, every time I hear a new thing, you know, it's like, you know, I'll tell you something. I, I just, I think I feel really hungry. Well, of course I'm hungry. I'm hungry for happiness and relief. So I open up my cabinets in my refrigerator and I eat something that I not, it's not going to quell me. It's not, it does because it's something, you know, like carbs and fats that'll slow me down, quiet me down during digestion. And then I'm just really sad. So I have to get up and go take a walk or go ride my bike or get in my car and go for a ride, see something lovely, do something. So what are, what are your fear behaviors? When do you, when do you know that you're feeling fear and what do you do about it? Um, I would definitely say going back to the earlier part of the conversation, I think that when I have fear, a lot of times it, it comes out as anger. And when does it happen? What part of the day? I don't think it necessarily happens during a particular part of the day. So you don't wake up angry? No. Not often. I did once. I did once during the lockdown. I remember I woke up one morning and I burst into tears. Okay. Not like me. Okay. Um, And. So is the anger triggered by news that comes into you? Yes. Okay. So it's reactive to specifics. So you have the energy of two other people in your home as well as animals. Yes. Yeah, that makes a big difference. That's wonderful. I do think I wanted to touch on something that you that you had just talked about and 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 and, and how it's connection. This I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nutritionist or anything, but just something from that I had thought about was the people who are perpetuating violence right now um i also am wondering like what are they what are they eating oh yeah i am too what kinds, what kinds of diets um are they are they are they eating i want to know their whole self-care routine yeah because I, I do i know just the benchmark of one when i don't eat well i don't feel well and when i don't feel well then i'm more susceptible to uncertainty, attention, struggle, and change, which right. all, that's where fear comes from. Yeah. And for me, a lot of what's been going on, what makes me fearful is the, is the uncertainty of the situation and being, starting to feel certain about things. And, and, and when I start to feel certain about things, it gives me hope and it gives me positive feelings. And then the disappointment when that whatever it is has been changed or moved or taken away again now that we're what in six months of this and it's it's so going back to food I one of the things that I had been looking into was a was the whole notion of like what people are eating. And I think you had talked about this with one of your, with Dr. Charlie, your, one of your other co-hosts about how important it is to eat well. Yeah, it is. If if, if there is no, if there's been no better time to promote eating well (laughs) and and this opportunity to, to me, it's just, it's shocking. Yeah. And and you can, And, and I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. She was like, Tori, Bone broth is everywhere now. She's like, I remember years ago you were talking about bone broth. 
She's like, do you know how much money you could have made if you'd like, <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to sell my bone broth though. <laughs> well, so when you're talking about nutrition and you're talking about bone broth for our audience who are unaware, there are absolutely, it is a, as a nutritionist from more than 40 years ago, I can tell you there is, we, everything we eat either fuels our body or drains our body. And, and it, and it, either fuels our mind or it hurts our mind. And if our mind is hurting, our body is suffering. So when when we are eating things that are really nutritious and bone broth happens to be very nutritious, and you're right, it's in every soup aisle of the of the grocery stores now, which is very unusual and it's terrific. We are getting basic nutrition that's very healing. And a lot of the nutrients are fueling our mind. <clears throat> When we fuel our mind, every part of our system is energized. And when we're energized, it's not about being jacked up. It's about being able to call in to focus our mind. When we were talking just a little bit ago about wondering what the, the, the looters, the rioters are eating, well, one of the things that I would assume is that those folks are all suffering. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so agonized and angry. They are not sitting down at tables and eating good home-cooked food that's got a lot of consideration for the nutrition into it. If you're going to fast foods, you're, drink, you're, you're eating and drinking a lot of sugar and a lot of refined carbohydrates with a lot of chemicals in them, none of which are okay. And the fast food industry is not our friend. The slow food industry is, and we would be a lot better off if everybody had to do food prep four hours a day. It would give you less time to get yourself in trouble. So, you know, and if we ate foods that were calming, you know, you would be motivated. You'd have your endocrine system working so that your endocrine system was creating the melatonin that inspires and facilitates sleep time. So the nutrition is incredibly important. So you say you're you're a you know a, a case study of one. I disagree. You're a case study of one plus your child plus your husband plus the pets that you have. You know exactly what it is that you need to fuel with. So it sounds to me like you're not you're not dealing with an overwhelm of anger an overwhelm of fear you've got concern and I say concern sort of in the middle like it starts out as a thought and then it raises to concern and then it goes up to worry then it escalates up to fear then it hits the ceiling at depression and despair and and so I think unless I'm mistaken your engagement in life and your dedication to your marriage your marital relationship and the well-being of your daughter and your animals keep you grounded and invested and not overthinking everything, not all day long anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you another example, I think, of like how healing food can be. And this you brought up my pets. So we, I rescued a, a black lab, Several years ago, I was my daughter uh, was 
riding horses and the, and the woman who was the instructor knew that I was a huge animal lover and she said oh there's this at the time we were living up north and she said there's this man who had a stroke in South Carolina and he's got 21 Labrador retrievers he needs oh to get rid gosh. of. Was he a breeder? Yeah. Yeah. Breeder. Okay. So that was like, that was my next question. I was like, why did he have 21 dogs? But he's a breeder. breeder. Yeah. And uh, did you uh, drive out there and get the dog? Oh yeah. So I flew. I flew to Charleston, drove to the middle of South Carolina with the, like the the music of deliverance in my back of my head. Like, no, don't go there. Yeah, I was like, oh, what am I doing? Um, pick up this dog, bring him back, you know, drive nine hours back home. Uh, we were living in Baltimore at the time. And uh, I, I didn't really examine him because I just wanted to get him and get out of there. And, and long story short, he had uh, patches of skin, like patches of fur that were gone. He had hot spots. He had little, he had, he was, he was definitely underweight and on all of the pads of his paws had these really vulgar okay. looking things. So he had sores on his feet and okay. you decided to keep him and nurture him. And what did you do to help him recover? So I, oh, and his teeth were brown. And okay. Only so I, 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 I took him to the vet and the vet said, we, I can help fix them. Yeah. It will be thousands of dollars, or yeah. you can try to do it on your own. And I knew this best. Yeah. And I said, I'll do. I'll. I let me let me try on my own first. So I switched his food. I got him really great food. I um. So I, by great food, you mean that you introduced him to a, a product of food that was clean. Yeah. Okay. And and you and brought him I, into your lovely home. I brought him into my home. I loved him. I, I rubbed olive oil on his on his skin. I yeah. added it to his food. And then every day, twice a day, I soaked every one of his paws in warm water and Epsom salt. Wonderful. And three weeks later, yep. he, he was a different animal. Yeah. Didn't, it, all it cost me was more expensive dog right, food. Right, right. The cost of the olive oil. Right. And my time soaking his feet. And because Epsom salts don't cost that much money. Yeah. So that, I mean, right. Exponentially less money and my time and love. Right, that's right. He was cured. And his teeth became white again. And so that was a very visible example yeah. yep. of how food can be very healing. Well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand that for you and say, the nutrition was only one component. You gave a holistic healing because, number one, you show up and you're open arms and love and receiving. And you drive back and this pup probably slept most of the way. Exhausted. It was quiet. He wasn't around 20 other dogs. He was probably a little bit scared, but tired and your energy no doubt permeated him and you get him home and he's received by Matt and by Molly and you bring him into your home and so there's warmth and love and reception that changes the beat of his heart it changes his brain waves and everybody's excited so it changes the whole energy in your home yeah. and then you start with nurturing 
and offering that time and touch, a lot of touch, gentle touch and talking and cooing and the, the exchange of eye-to-eye contact. He was motivated to eat the food and he was motivated to lay still and let you do everything that you did to him. That is the formula for peace with animals of all kinds, including the human species of animals. I'm very concerned that one of the things that we don't have, and I am, and I am not a pacifist. I, I, I want violence to be interrupted with discipline. I want violence to be interrupted with a boundary that says no, just like when a child throws a fit, no. You're not going to get your way because you're having a fit. You're not, you're not allowed to do destruction. So you got to bring that to a halt, but not with a beating. It's with an arrest of that behavior and, and a change of state. Like, boom, no, you're not allowed to run wild because that just increases the flow of adrenaline, of adrenaline. So you, you arrest the destruction, the self-destruction. You arrested the self-destruction that that pup was going through. And you turned it around with all the things that I just mentioned. That's exactly what we need to do with people. When people say, just throw these idiots in jail. No, first of all, there are no idiots and throwing is never an option. And jail, unless it is a healing environment is a place where people become worse, not better. And, and so our fear I think can be mitigated by stories like yours is living examples, not to be taken as superficial or too lighthearted. That is genuine and authentic. And we, and we know what happens to human beings when we partner them with an animal and teach them how to love and how to care. I think, you know, we could, we could come up with all kinds of solutions, you know. So that dog in your life has meant a lot, hasn't it? Oh yeah, he's, and he's he's nine now, and that that happened when he was one. So although we do laugh sometimes, I always say he's a little bit fragile. You know, don't 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 roughhouse with him too much. I'm kidding, but it's like you know, we have another Labrador who's like fierce, and she's a warrior, and it's funny. Yeah. Know? We laugh, we sort of laugh at the, the different the difference in their personalities right. and um, from whence we came. Yeah, yeah. He's not fierce and he's not a warrior. He is a he's a mama's boy, always at my feet. Like I'm here with you. He's grateful. <laughs> yeah, but I do think I mean I was listening to you talk about food and I and I had been talking about like fear and where does that fear come from and if you're not eating well. And, and again, like this goes back to like helping, like I think that changing the conversation to understanding that when you're looking at whatever news outlet that you're looking at, creating space in between that picture that you saw that created fear or the words that you read that created fear and being able to take a step back and then maybe, maybe eating an organic apple or going for a walk or eating an organic apple while you're taking a walk, breathing fresh air can really change the way that you feel about something. And then maybe you might forget for a moment 
about that scary picture that you saw or those scary words that you read mm-hmm. and give you give you the opportunity to, to create a space in your brain where you might find hope and you might find positivity and, and through our messaging be like, you know, change your intention, change that intention to positive. Even yeah. Like, right. I think it's one of the, it's so trite and I, I almost, it's almost cringeworthy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, you know, fake it till you make it. No, it's not, it's not trite and it's not cringeworthy at all. It's very valuable. Now, two things. One, uh, I would advise people take that apple and go sit when you walk, walk and don't have your various systems competing for your energy. So when you're, when you grab food, get the entire sensuous experience of it, feel it, Look at it. Give it your attention. Take each bite and say, nutrify me. This is delicious. And and focus on nothing else other than just that and where you're seated. When you're walking, and then and give your body time for the digestion to at least start. When you're walking, it's your cardiac and, and your cardiovascular and your respiratory system that needs to be working. And you need all the blood going to your heart, not to your gut, to do that digestion. So either go for a walk and come back and eat your apple or vice versa and really savor that experience. And that's what you're talking about, a switching state. And I'm, and I'm infusing not only switch the state, but savor it. The, the wild man, Tony Robbins, who I've met, got to spend time with, have one-on-one conversations with, I would tell him how annoying he was because he would say things like, where your mind goes, the energy flows. And if you want to change your state, then change your physical state. Get up and dance. Jump around if you feel, you know, like you need to shake yourself off of a mood. Well, he's right. It's very true. And we know this from brain studies. We know this from biofeedback studies. So I love the ideas that you're putting forth. They're 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 credible and solid. And 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 you you don't give yourself enough credit, Tori, for how you implement these things. Like you send your child to volleyball, and and you guys swim, and you walk, and you do activities, and you're cooking for your family. As a matter of fact, the last time we were here, you were you're cooking beans on the stove. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I that I had heard a few months ago, and it's something that I'm still working on, um, which I thought was a brilliant idea, was to have a recovery playlist um, of songs that make you feel calm or safe or want to dance. They're not melancholy songs. They're like, and yeah, my playlist is. I'm still working on it. Yeah, that's another. You know, there are little there are little things that you can do. Absolutely. So that, you know, as I said, like the ending the ending fear porn campaign is part of as we've talked about multiple times, it's like creating a space between when you see those things or read those things and if it's if, if in creating that space you're like, you know what, I think I'm gonna listen to my recovery playlist right now. Mine right now is only like ten songs. Okay, so give us give us a heads up on what which what are some of your songs? Oh, goodness. I'm not prepared to tell you. Okay. Well, I'll give you some of mine. I, I, okay. Anyone from the Beach Boys, anything from Louis Armstrong, but most in particular, What a Wonderful World. 
Dionne Warwick, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Okay? Seth spawned some ideas for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to open up my... Um, I know we've just got a quick minute here, and of course my computer has decided that it's going to be a little bit slow, but... That's okay. Um, just right off the top of your head. Well, I'll tell you right off the top of my yeah. head, one of my favorite songs is Prince's 1999. Like, I, I just... I love Prince, and I think he's, I think he was a brilliant artist. And yeah. He's no longer making music, but... I so what are some other songs? Um, I also, I think it's, um, is it Marvin Gaye, Ain't No Mountain High Enough? Yes. He was great. Yeah. Yeah. I love, and Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Isn't she lovely? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that that's something that is, is you know, if, if between now and next week, if, if there's someone listening to this who is looking for, like, I don't know how to create space between my thoughts, which is definitely an exercise we talked about this last right, week. Right, right. We'll worry about that. Like, that's, that's maybe, like, further down the road. But if you... No, I think you, we're teaching people right now. Yeah. Fill their yeah. space with songs. Yeah, like, go and... We just and gave you 10 songs that you can look up. Everybody knows what their songs are. Go to them. Yeah. So make it, you know, just make a recovery playlist that, that is, uh, that will help alleviate your fear. And, um, so, so here's what we've got. We've got about two minutes. The hour has flown by (laughs) as it did last time. So Tori, in the in the middle here, from here to next week, you and I are committed to the idea of leading by example and continuing. And when we come back next week, let's tell people the people's lives that we've touched, the things that we've done that we have found to be really powerful. And I'll get this posted on social media. And it'll, you'll have the link to the YouTube video of it, and we'll keep moving it along and make people feel happy, less fearful. Yeah. I, uh, one more tip just before we go. Like, the, again, it's, 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 it's just to take seven deep breaths. Okay. Great. That's my last one. All right. So Great. Take seven deep breaths. Okay. And, uh, remember, if we will get through this. My my final words in these 90 seconds are inhale confidence and exhale self-doubt. On that note, Tori, thank you for the morning. Yeah, thank you, too. Oh, my gosh. I look forward to next week. And I do, I too. hope everyone can find, find some space in their thoughts and some, and some good energy and Wednesday, positively. Wednesday wins. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, with my good friend, Tori Ducart Eversman. Got right today. I'm going to end the show on peace out. Bye. Oh, my God.